Well, we were in 1 Kings chapter 11 tonight, finishing up the life of King Solomon. He will die by the chapter's end. <laughs> but King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, woman of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor are they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, Solomon loved many foreign women. It says in the verse that it quoted, we're going to get to the second one here, but I'll give you this first one in Exodus 34, verse 12. Take heed to yourselves, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest there be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifices to their gods, and one of them invite you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. So God would knew that if you take these foreign women in, idolatry is in your future. And he tried to warn them about it back in Exodus. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, When the Lord your God brings you in the land which you shall go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor shall mar uh, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their sons, nor take their daughters for your son. They will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you, destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images. Burn their carved images with fire, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. So he warned them about those particular nations. Um, they're not the nations that are mentioned when it says where Solomon gets the, his wives from, where the Hittites are, but the other ones are, are other nations. So he had, had gone to some other ones to... To bring them in. Some of them were uh, Moab. Of course, uh, we know that had some interaction with them. They were um, people that were could have been a, a, a decent folk, but they they were not. But he had taken from them from them. These were already nations who served idols, worshipped idols. When they brought them on in, that God knew they're not going to leave their idols behind. They're going to bring their idols back in. They may say that they might. They may say that they won't. Whatever it might be. But it says his wives turned his heart away. It doesn't say his concubines. It says his wives. When it, now it's in the same verse, it says 700 wives, 300 concubines. And then it makes a special note that his wives turned his heart away. Those are the ones that he married to. The other ones, I guess, are ones that maybe you would say he dated. I don't know. He just had, had them in there. But anyway, the 700 wives, so I put in your outline there that 700 wives over 40 years would be 17 to 18 weddings per year. It actually comes out to about 17 and a half. I didn't want to make a half a wedding. You know, what is a half a wedding? 
But uh, 17 to 18, so one year you have 17, next one you have 18. That's more than one a month. If he was doing that over the whole 40 years, more than likely it escalated as he was uh, going on. The beginning part probably didn't pursue as many, so you're looking at probably more than 17 to 18 in some years and less than in others. But that is, that's a lot of weddings. Uh, weddings would be as common as silver in the land of Israel. Weddings for the king, you would think. But this is a, a lot of them. You're bringing them all in with their foreign, foreign gods and so forth. <clears throat> Once you do that, Solomon is not really the big inter, the, the one who interacts with the wives a whole lot. He would interact with them some. But if you had 700 wives, you could not interact with if if you you could not interact with all of them. If you picked one per day, it would take you two years to get through just the wives to have any kind of interaction at all. So that would leave them on their own for all the rest of the time. And so Solomon is not necessarily going to persuade them with the things of the word. They are going to continue on in their areas of idolatry. Uh, verse 4, so, For so it was when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. It was not when he was young. Solomon, as he got older, his heart was turned. What is old? I don't know. He, he took the throne around 20. He reigned for 40 years, so he died around 60. So um, <clears throat> at least we know that 60 is old. There's old at 50. <coughs> Excuse me. So whatever, the, um, whatever old is, maybe it just means older, his older years. But in the beginning, his heart was not turned. Of course, he was doing all this stuff for the, the kingdom of God, for the temple and so forth. But when he was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. So that means they were working on him for a while. And he either resisted it, didn't pursue it, whatever it might be. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. <coughs> Excuse me. Throat's drying out. For so it was, if you put in your outline, when Solomon was old. Verse 5. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. After Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord and did his father, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ammon. Then he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the foreign gods that I mentioned here... <coughs> The Talmud uh, quoted Rashi uh, uh, says that his wives built the temples and that he is considered responsible for not stopping them. That's what the Talmud is quoted as, as doing. So it is, it is possible that he didn't actively do it, but that they did it as queens or as uh, you know, some of the women married to the king. They had access, I guess, to his money. Ah, thank you, sir. Uh, and that could certainly be. Now, Ashtoreth is the goddess of the, of the Sidonians, uh, chief female deity worship in the ancient Syria, Phoenicia, and, and Canaan. The um, Phoenicians called her uh, Ashtart, and we have a, a number of names that are listed for her. Um, the Assyrians worship her as Ishtar, which, of course, we all know as uh, where we got our god, goddess for Easter. So that's where, where that one comes from. Solomon brought that worship into the children of Israel. 
<clears throat> the Philistines had a temple of Asherah. You've heard that name mentioned as well. So apparently these are all the same. First uh, Samuel 31 and verse 10 talks about Asherah. Because of Israel's incomplete conquest of the land of Canaan, Asherah worship survived and plagued Israel starting as soon as Joshua was dead in Judges chapter 2. So as soon as Joshua dies, they start bringing uh, idol worship in. This is one of them. Asherah was represented by a limbless tree trunk planted in the ground. The trunk was usually carved into a symbolic representation of the goddess. Because of the association with carved trees, the places of Asherah worship were commonly called groves. And the Hebrew word Asherah, plural Asherim, could refer to either the goddess or to a grove of trees. One of the king, one of King Manasseh's evil deeds was that he took the carved Asherah pole that he made and put it in the temple. Manasseh was probably the worst king that Israel had, as far as idolatry was concerned. Another translation of the carved Asherah pole is the graven image of the grove. Uh, she is considered the moon goddess. Asherah was often presented as a consort of Baal. And remember when we had Ahab, we had the uh, prophets of Asherah, prophets of Baal. That's why they were teamed up. Baal was the sun god. Asherah was also worshipped as the goddess of love and war. And sometimes linked with Anath. Another Canadian goddess. Worship of Asherah was noted for its sensuality. It involved ritual prostitution. The priests and priestesses of Asherah also practiced divination and fortune telling. Seems to be a lot of prostitution in the area of idolatry worship. That's why people, uh, I guess, go after it. At times, Israel experienced revival. And notable crusades against Asherah worship were led by Gideon, King Asa, and King Josiah. Uh, Milcom is a, the god of the Amorites. Now, Milcom was uh, uh, was looking up some of these things, and some think that he was the same god as Molech, and some think he was the same god as Kamosh. But in the Word of God here, we have Milcom listed with Kamosh and and uh, Molech. So it must be there is some differences in there, even if they were the same god that they referred back to. The Amorites had one way to worship him. The Moabites had another way to worship him, and uh, it just it, uh, it changed back and forth. So somehow, they are, there are differences there. Don't know exactly what they what they all were. I tried to get something more on Milcom. I couldn't find a whole lot on on him at all. Most of the things just uh, deferred over to Kamosh and especially to Molech. But uh, the Word of God does seem to differentiate between the two. Molech we have a lot on. I don't know that I could say that uh, Milcom and Molech are the same kind of worship, especially since here it's talking about them in the same passage, but showing them as different. Uh, Kamosh, according to Second Kings, uh, I think it's 11.7, evidence uh, is given that Kamosh and Molech were perhaps two manifestations of the same God, at least to the peoples who worshipped them. Solomon had high places built for both gods at the same time and in the same location on the mountain, which is East Jerusalem, by Kamosh. And Molech may have had the same origins, but if so, by Solomon's time, they had uh, dominated into different objects for different people. Kamosh for the Moabites, Molech for the Ammonites. And since that uh, Milcom is associated with the Ammonites and Molech also, it would seem that there has to be some difference between those, those two. Now, Molech is the worst one of them all. Molech was worshipped and practiced by the Canaanites, the Phoenicians, and related cultures in North Africa and the Levant. 
The Phoenicians, of course, is someone that Solomon had a lot of uh, treaties with. They had a lot of um, interaction with. He liked the king that was up there. This, and so this stuff came on over. But Molech was the one that the word of God talked about. God, God was, of all the idols they, they went after, God was shocked they went after this one. Because this is the one they had the child sacrifices for. They had the big uh, iron uh, altar. There was a furnace inside, and they would put the babies into the uh, idol's hands, light the fire, and the baby would just be consumed by the heat, and you'd hear the baby screaming and crying until finally the baby didn't scream and cry anymore. Can you imagine doing that as a parent? I, I cannot imagine people being able to do that. But the people would go after worshiping Jehovah, who loved their children and wanted to see their children grow old and, and uh, do good things, and they would leave that to go and worship Moloch. And we see a lot of that uh, same thing today with uh, some of the religions that are out there that people are pursuing, especially the Muslim religion. It's a very violent religion. It's very... Uh, uh, very harsh religion, and yet people will go after that and leave, leave some of the others, leave, uh, leave the worship of God. Then Solomon built a high place for Kamosh, the abomination of the Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ammon, and he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So there it says that he built them. Torah says that he didn't build them, he just allowed them to build them. Whichever way it was, he didn't stop them. And so uh, the Jewish folks see you didn't, you didn't stop it. You are guilty of it. And they see him as, as building it. I'm sure that God does as well because he should not have been allowing this king. You don't allow these kind of things to come into the kingdom of, of God, into the nation of Israel. Verse 9, So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice <clears throat> and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my command, my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days, not for Solomon's sake, but for the sake of your, of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son, and for the sake of my servant David, for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So all the good things that Solomon did, the building of the temple, all the things that he did for God, all the money he put towards God, God doesn't look at any of that. God doesn't care about any of that. You didn't keep your heart pure. You didn't keep following after me. You let these other things go on instead. And so if it was up to Solomon, God would have wiped him out. But because of David, he says, I'm not going to wipe you out. And because of David, I'm not going to take the kingdom away in your, in your days. I'm going to wait until your son comes to the throne. Verse 14, Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was a descendant of the king of Edom. Now the Lord didn't raise this guy up. The Lord simply didn't stop it. God says, Your enemies will be able to overpower you. They'll be able to come against you if you go against the things that I I tell you to do because then I can't fight for you. Then we can't stand on, uh, I can't strengthen you. So because Solomon didn't stay with the Lord, the Lord couldn't stay with him and help him out. So therefore, these, uh, these folks did. For it happened when David was in Edom, and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom, because for six months Joab remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom. So they defeated Edom, 
And in so doing, they were going to go through and cut down every male so that there was no male left in the, in the land. Well, this guy escapes. He gets out. And he heads on down to Egypt, and he stays down in there. Then Hadad fled to go to, to Egypt. He and the certain Edomites of his father's servant with him. Hadad was still a little child. Then they arose from Midian and came to Paran, and they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, a portion of food for him, and gave him land. Now, this is a different Pharaoh than the one which um, Solomon had the treaty with, entered into the marriage. This one was before that. This is the Pharaoh during David's day. And this guy had gone on down there then. So uh, the Pharaoh liked Hadad. Found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so he gave him his wife, or gave him as wife the sister of his own wife, that is the sister of Queen Tapanes. Tapanes, excuse me. <clears throat> then the sister of Tapanes bore him Jenubath, his son, whom Tapanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Jenubath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers, and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead. Because that happened pretty close to each other. <clears throat> Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, that I may go into my own country. Pharaoh said to him, But you, but what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? So he answered, Nothing. But do let me go anyway. So Hadad, even though he was very young when he came out of the land, had a, still had a love for his homeland. Once he heard that David had gone, had died, and Joab, he felt like I could go there, and no one's going to be uh, looking for me, coming after me. And so he went on back, but... He's carrying bitterness to Israel and to the house of David, which Solomon now is. So he um, became a, an adversary. We don't know what he did. The Bible doesn't tell us what he did against Solomon, but he did some things against Solomon. And uh, whatever it was, he was a known adversary. But this began, this uh, adversary began when Solomon took the throne is when Hadad came back, but it came to a, a place of fruition as Solomon pursued the other gods. That's when I gave him a, an opening. Verse 23, And God raised up another adversary against him, Rezan, the son of Eliadad, who fled from his lord Hadadzer, king of Zobah. So he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders when David killed those in Zobah. And they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. <clears throat> He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused, and he had abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. Now, what happened with this one, if you went back into the, saw the battle, and I gave you the reference to it in 2 Samuel chapter 8, <clears throat> is that the king of Zobah came on down and they battled David. Well, they, were, they lost or were losing, and Syria came to their help. As Syria comes to their help, this guy is one of the generals in the army, either the general or one of the generals. Somehow he's, uh, he's one of them. When they, Syria lost as well, he fled into the wilderness with a bunch of, the, of soldiers and they formed a band, much like what David did when he was in the wilderness fleeing from Saul. David had his band of 600 and this guy had a band of, we don't know how many, but he had a band of a number of people. And he eventually comes out of that and becomes king over Syria. He reigns in Damascus. And he became a problem for, um, for Solomon. Again, we don't know what all he did. We just know that he became a problem, that he was an adversary. Then the big one, 
wasn't found in 26. Then Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Nabot, an Ephraimite from Zarita, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow who rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo, repaired the damage of the city of David, his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now, it talks about him being a mighty man of valor. What do you do with a mighty man of valor when you have no war? You can't use him for what he's mostly there for, but he's also an industrious person. So he put him in charge of the, <clears throat> of the uh, forced labor that we had talked about before was, was being used. So Solomon uses his skill in the building projects that he has going on. Now, it happened at the time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way. And he had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. How would you like to have it in a new garment and tear it up into twelve? I just bought this thing. Tear it up into twelve pieces. Not going to be any good anymore. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David. For the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me, worshipped the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Kamosh, the god of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon. And I have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and kept my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David whom I chose because he kept the commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his hand, uh, out of his son's hand, give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you, you shall reign over all your heart's desires, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be if you heed... All that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as the Lord, uh, my servant David did. Then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David. And I will give Israel to you and I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Now, Jeroboam was faithful to, to Solomon. He was industrious all this time. The rebellion does not come in until after the prophecy comes, and the prophecy doesn't come in until after uh, it is proclaimed to Solomon that this is what's going to this is what's going to happen. We didn't go over this before, but in the earlier in, in chapter eleven, when it says the Lord said to Solomon and pronounced a judgment on him, it also says that he had appeared to him twice. He does not appear to him a third time. That word comes by a prophet. Don't know what prophet. Didn't mention the prophet or the or the prophecy. But the word was sent, and that's how he usually sent it. And he, if he appeared a third time, surely he would have, he would have uh, said that. But he appeared the first two times because of the good things and the, the way that his heart was, was turned towards God. He's not going to show up a third time because his heart's away. But he first saw, he meets them, and he takes a new, a new garment, tears it into 12 pieces, and says, take for yourself 10. I'm going to leave one for the house of David. We all know that 10 plus 1 equals... 11, not 12. So what happens here is he says, take for yourself 10. 10 tribes are going to go on with Jeroboam. What is left? There's two that are left. So when God says, I'm giving him one, 
the tribe of Judah is, is to remain, and one tribe that is given would be Benjamin. The Levites are not really given. They are still in service for the, uh, for the uh, house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So they would stay as well. So you could actually look at it as, as three, but Levi was not usually counted in the twelve. And the house of Joseph was counted as two in Manasseh and Ephraim, which is how we usually, usually get that. So that's where we, we come up with, with that part, with the ten and one. Um, there were still two on the floor when he uh, took his ten. But he says, so I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart desires. Now, here's the funny part with that verse. Jeroboam, it says, has a heart desire to reign over Israel as king. But Israel has a king, Solomon. And Israel has a promise that David will not lack for someone to sit on the throne. That's the promise that comes from God. So Jeroboam, is it right for him to have a heart's desire to reign over Israel when the anointing has been put on the house of David and the scepter to rule by God was given to the house of David. So can Jeroboam have a right desire to pursue that? Now, it would seem not, but in the prophecy, it makes mention, I'm going to let you reign over all your heart's desire. If it was a wrong desire, wouldn't the prophecy have condemned it instead of honoring it? So it is a, kind of a funny thing that, that, you, that, that comes in there because he had to know what the word of God was. All Israel knew what the word of God was. That David would not lack for a man to sit on the throne. And it's even brought out in the prophecy. I promised David he's not going to lack for a man to put, sit on the throne, so he's going to get a tribe. And uh, you're going to get to ten. So apparently there was a desire that was built up apparently from God it may have been after Solomon had pursued all these other uh, other things and all these other gods, but God seems to honor it. But if you are Jeroboam and you are having a desire to take something that the Word of God says belongs to someone else, can you see where there would be a, a, a problem that could come up there? So how does he come up with this desire and for it to be right? Where does the rebellion come in? Because apparently he served Solomon very faithfully for a while. And wasn't in rebellion. It would seem that the rebellion, well, we'll put it this way. Why does God pick Jeroboam out of all the people he can pick? Why does he pick Jeroboam? Well, let's go into history. Why does he pick David? Why did he pick Saul? Why did he pick these people to be, to be king? Why did he pick Solomon out of all the sons of David? It was their heart attitude. Saul at the time, he says, when I picked you, you were small in your eyes. Now you became big. David was a man after God's own heart. Solomon was a man who, who loved God and served God and made some great requests and really had a good start. Uh, had a good number of, uh, a, a good run for a while. <clears throat> Would we not have to assume that Jeroboam's heart was very much like Solomon's was in the beginning, like David's was, and like Saul's was in the beginning? If his heart was like that of the predecessor, the three people that were picked before, and Solomon begins to build, or at least allow to be built, idolatrous places of worship, what would that do to someone whose heart is loyal to God? Would that not cause a rift between him and the king? King, you're leading people against the worship of our God. We can't be doing this. We need to be a worshiper of our God. 
and his rebellion to the king stem from the king's rebellion to God. Wouldn't that make sense? Why else would God pick him? Of all the people he's got to pick, he picks the guy, probably, who's defending God and who's defending God in the midst of all this idolatrous stuff that's going on. He even stood up to a king, very powerful, very rich king, stood up to the king about this to the point that he had to leave town. He had to flee for his life. So it seemed that Jeroboam's rebellion is because of the idolatry that Solomon had gotten into. That until Solomon became an idolater or allowed idolatry in the land, he was fine with being loyal to the king. And when he begins to see this, a desire could come up on the inside. God, if I was king, I would not let Israel go after this. I would not allow Israel to pursue these things. I would stand up for your name. I would, and he probably means it too. And God saw that he probably meant it. <clears throat> and he, uh, he pursued that. So to me, the rebellion comes out of his loyalty to God because up till then he's been loyal to Solomon. But when Solomon leaves his loyalty to God, Jeroboam can't. And he remains loyal to his God and therefore rebels against Solomon. And so the prophet comes over and, and sees this rebellion that he has against Solomon and says, hey, I see what you're doing. I see what's in your heart. Your heart says, I want to take Israel and lead them back to God. And God says, uh, I'm going to give you ten tribes. You're going to have an opportunity to do that. Uh, verse 40, therefore, Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now the rest of the act of Solomon, all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all of Israel was 40 years. And Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. His father and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. So Solomon sees what Jeroboam is doing. And what's Jeroboam's response? I will kill you. Is that a good response? When David missed God and the prophet confronted him, David repents. When Saul missed God and the prophets correct him, his response is, I will kill David. So Solomon has followed after Saul, not after David. He desires to, to kill him. And that's where Solomon had gone. Solomon may still see himself as a worshiper of God and allowing his wives to become idolaters. That may be how he's looking at this. But that's not how God's looking at it. And it has had an effect on Solomon. The Word of God says that his wives, as he was old, his wives turned him, turned his heart from following after God. And when you get to a place where when you've been rebuked and someone else, the, the scepter has fallen to someone else, you want to kill them, Instead of fixing your, your own life, getting things ready. I mean, Ahab was better than this. Ahab, when the word of the, the prophet came to him and said, Hey, you've missed it. You've killed. You've done. And he went away and he repented. And God says, All right, I'm going to still take away the scepter from your house, but I'm not going to do it in your lifetime. And um, that's, that, that would have been a better response than the, the one that we had from Solomon. So whether Solomon would have gone on much longer, he reigned 40 years. That was a pretty good uh, 
a long stint. There were some kings who reigned longer than that, but it would seem that uh, Solomon, his life was probably cut short because of these things that were going on. I put this in your outline for you. Just because we are strong, wise, and word-oriented now does not mean we cannot be worn down. This is something we always have to keep in mind. Solomon is the best example we have of this. No matter how wise we think we are, no matter how much word we think we have, no matter how much love we think we have for God, we cannot ever get to a place where we think, I can never be worn down. We can be. The only way we cannot be worn down is to follow what the Word of God says. For, for Solomon, it was he allowed wrong influences to come in and he entered into a covenant. He entered into a marriage arrangement with all these folks. 700, <clears throat> most of them idolaters. I don't know how many of them were, but a lot of them were foreign women who brought in idolatry. 700. 300 concubines, we don't know what they were, but they're not the ones who turned his heart. It was the wives. So we don't focus on the 300, we focus on the 700. These are the ones that did it. They took the wisest man who had walked the earth to that point. I think Jesus was wiser, but up until then, probably no one wiser than Solomon. Took the wisest man, a man who had great love for God, and wore that down to the point where he not only allowed, but it, it seemed to be somehow practiced some of this foreign God worship to the point that his heart was hardened enough that he could think about murdering someone who was probably standing up for the things of God. Jeroboam was probably just saying, we cannot leave the worship of God. We cannot allow this, this stuff to come in. This is what Moses said. This is what jo Joshua said. This is what the Word of God says. This is what's written in Exodus. This is what's written in Deuteronomy. These are the things that God commanded us. He's probably bringing him into remembrance of these things. <clears throat> and he doesn't like it. And when he finds out that he, the prophecy was made, yeah, that, and that's, uh, that's just too much. Now, Jeroboam doesn't keep this up. His great love for God, but even for him, it wears away. Uh, much quicker than it does for Solomon. And it's because of fear. So we'll, we'll see him as, uh, as time goes on. We're chapters in, in here. But no matter how strong we think we are, we've got to stay with the Word. We've got to stay in the Word every day. The Word of God told Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. All the days of your life. <clears throat> we can't just do it for the beginning and figure like we can coast on the rest. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to stay with the Word. We've got to keep people around us to keep us sharp on the Word, to keep us going on this, because it doesn't happen right away. But you get out of the Word, you get out of listening to the Word, you get out of studying the Word, you get out of growing in the Word, and you will wear away to the point of doing things you never thought you would have. Countless examples of it in the Word of God. Solomon is just probably the greatest. Someone who would go from the place where he was, such love for God, to God appeared to him twice and gave him great promises to that point to turn from that God. That is just amazing. But it happens. Well, Father, we thank you for examples we have in the Word of God, positive ones as well as negative ones, ones that show us what happens, like with David, when we pursue you, 
And if we do miss it, repent, that we can get going again. But then we also have examples like Solomon. Shows us that we can have a great start, great middle, but fail at the end. And everything that we did in our life is lost. Nothing matters. Father, it's so important that we stay true to your word, true to your commandments, true to your promises, that your great promises carry great responsibility on our side and that we can do them. We can carry them out. Thank you, Father, for the example we have of Solomon. Thank you for the examples in your word. We must always remember, no matter how strong we think we are, we can be worn down and to always be on the lookout. Always be watchful. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.